Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. What's up, my friends? Jason Menes here. So glad to be with you here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Now, when you click this podcast and if you're paying attention, you see that there's a 100th by the title. That's right. This is our 100th episode here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Isn't that amazing? It is hard to believe, and I just thank the Lord, and I thank many people such as yourself who have supported us all of these years, and I pray that God will continue to bless many more episodes to come because we are getting such great feedback from people all over the world who have told us how going through the Gospels has blessed them tremendously and has given them great insight into the scriptures and they've drawn closer to Jesus Christ because that's certainly been the testimony of my own life. So I've thoroughly enjoyed it. So shout out to all of you who prayed for us and who give financially to continue to allow us to put this podcast together so it could be a ministry to you and to your family and hopefully to your church. Now, by the way, as I'm recording this, we're, we're ending 2019. So we're going into a new year and as a nonprofit ministry, we, again, rely heavily on your generous donations. So if you've never given, please consider doing so. You can go to standstrongministry.org. You can click on podcast. It's secure and it's also tax deductible. And it'd be a tremendous blessing uh, to me and to many, many people I know that support this ministry. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. So with that being said, let's turn now to John chapter 14, where we pick things up here in the upper room. Now, at this point, the, the remaining passages that we're going to be exploring is going to be John 14, John 15, and John 16 here in the upper room. So this is the, the last portion of the Passover meal where Jesus explains insight into the coming Holy Spirit. And John 15, he talks about him being the vine. And then John 16, he also talks about them being orphans. But again, he's going to be reassuring them that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and be a blessing and helping them through their conviction, through guidance, and through illumination. So here in John chapter 14, where Jesus promises the comfort of the Holy Spirit, he says in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, this phrase here, let not your hearts be troubled, what Jesus is saying here is he says, your thoughts, your inner self, the emotional distress that you're undergoing right now. Because remember, there was a lot of conflict leading up to the upper room discussion at Passover, as well as during the meal itself. And they were curious as to what Jesus was saying about him departing and where he was going. So they're troubled by that. And so he wants to bring comfort to them. And notice he uses this word believe. It's faith, it's confidence, it's reliance, it's complete trust. He says, have that in God. This is in the Greek and in the indicative. And then when he says, believe also in me, it's in the imperative. So as the Jews were trusting in God in the Old Testament, according to Exodus 14, 31, what Jesus essentially was saying here in John 14, 1, he's telling his disciples that they can trust him the same way. This is a statement in the affirmative of his deity. In verse two, Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms, their homes, abiding places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way where I'm going. So again, remember, this was a discussion that they were having during the Passover meal. So in one sense, Jesus is reassuring them, but he's also giving them future promises to come. And so he's promising his disciples that he is going to leave. And when he leaves, he's going to prepare a home for them. So think about a Jewish man who's, who's betrothed to his wife. He's going to come get her. And so that's the analogy here, if you will, that Jesus is giving them. But instead of him going to build a kingdom on earth, he says, I'm going to go to heaven and I will return someday. And so this is why Jesus uses this phrase, I will come again. This means it's going to be unexpected. It's going to be imminent. I believe what Jesus is referring to here is known as the rapture, that he will come before the tribulation period and he will take the church. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And it's interesting because in all this, they were already kind of confused about so many different things. But at this point, Jesus says, you know the way. So he's telling the disciples, look, I've given you enough details. I've given you enough information. You've witnessed these mind-boggling miracles. You've received teachings about the gospel and about eternal life. Yet the disciples were not fully comprehending this because glorification had yet to take place. Jesus had yet to die. He'd yet to rise from the dead. And so therefore he is yet to be glorified. And so they're confused. And here you see Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? So here's a rare occurrence of Thomas speaking up. But he asked a literal question because he really didn't know what was going to happen to Jesus. The disciples had enough information. They just didn't know how to piece it all together. So it's like a puzzle. All the pieces are there, hopefully, right? But the problem is you don't have the picture. And so you have the pieces without seeing the big picture. And so it's more difficult to piece together. But of course, we know eventually they will. So Jesus says to him in verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So this is the sixth I am statement of Jesus in John. Go back to John 6 and John 8, John 10, John 11, John 14. We'll see uh, a next episode in John 15. Jesus uses these I am statements in the affirmative, again, his deity. And so he's telling Thomas that he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life because he is God. And therefore, he is the only person that you must go through to receive eternal life. That's recorded in Luke chapter 13, verse 24. And you'll see later in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is no other name given among heaven and earth by which a person must be saved. Well, then Philip now chimes in and says to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. So this is reminiscent, if you remember, of Moses asking to see God in Exodus 33, verse 18. Philip's response was limited to the natural realm because he had no idea of the things to come because they were so fixated on the temporal. In verse 9, Jesus says to Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Now, if you recall, in John chapter 1, verse 45, when Philip started to follow Jesus, he went to Nathanael. And when he found Nathanael, he said to him, we have found the one who Moses and the prophets spoke about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. But yet here, three plus years later, Philip is lacking understanding. 
He's doubting, he's concerned. And so he's asking a genuine question and notice how Jesus responds to him. Do you not believe that I'm in the father and the father's in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells, that means remains, abides in me, does his work. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in, that means joined together in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, in his words and the works that he has done, they all match up to the Father. They don't contradict how Jesus lived, how he taught, what he taught, the miracles he did, how he performed them. They all point to the work of the Father in Jesus. And this is important for us to understand because what he's in essence saying from one commentary standpoint is that when you go back to John chapter 14, verse 1, and the words that Jesus used there, the oneness that's connected what he's telling Philip with the Father and Jesus have already been stated, meaning he's saying throughout this conversation, I'm one with the Father and the Father is one with me. Everything I've said, everything I, I have done is a reflection of the Father because we are one in nature. Isn't that amazing? That's what he's conveying to his friends in the upper room. And then in verse 12, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. So Jesus was not stating uh, to his disciples that the future church would do greater miracles than what he did. What he was telling them is that they would do miracles in their lifetime and they will do it in a longer period of time, meaning the quantity, the extent of the miracles, okay, not the quality, not the power of them because the power comes from Jesus, right? And through the power of the Holy Spirit. But he's just saying is that you guys will have a long time to do far more than what I was able to do within the three and a half years that he did his public ministry in Galilee and throughout Jerusalem. So then he says here, I'm going to the Father. So when he ascends to heaven, he says, then the Holy Spirit will come and you will do these works. One commentary writes, quote, not more remarkable miracles, but referring to the wider work of the apostolic ministry under the dispensation of the Spirit. This work was of a higher nature than mere bodily cures. Godet truthfully says, quote, that which was done by St. Peter at Pentecost, by St. Paul all over the world, that which is affected by an ordinary preacher, a single believer, by bringing the Spirit into the heart, could not be done by Jesus during his sojourn in this world, end quote. So Jesus' personal ministry in the flesh would be a local ministry, whereas when the dispensation of the Spirit comes upon us, it would become a universal ministry. So in essence, that's what Jesus is saying in that verse. And then verse 13, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So Jesus is clearly pointing to them as he said in John 14, verse six, that he's the way, the truth, and life. He's saying, I'm a mediator. I'm a mediator between you and the Father. So if you want to do anything miraculous, if you want to have answer to prayer, it needs to be done in my name, meaning you honor me as your soon-to-be Savior who's going to die and atone for their sins to glorify him. So another insight that this tells us when we look at verses 13 and 14 is that prayer is not selfish. It's not to advance our desires and get what we want it's to advance the kingdom of god that's how the will of god is done here on earth is when we surrender ourselves and we pray his will be done on earth as it is in heaven because notice he says in verse 15 if you love me you will keep my commandments so every action and every service 
that we do to God, he says, needs to be in obedience to his truth. And so Jesus is conveying to his disciples that true love isn't just believing in him, but living out the truth of his word. That's an Old Testament teaching. This is something the disciples would have grasped and understood, even though they didn't comprehend fully Jesus's message and what he was saying in the upper room. But they understood if he is God and he's told them how to live, they know that as a Jewish person. You see that in Exodus 20, verse 6, Deuteronomy 5, verse 10, Deuteronomy 13, 3 and 4. And then he says in 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That's in Greek, parakletos, a comforter, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is amazing because what Jesus is promising now is the Holy Spirit, the source of truth, will indwell, not just be upon them, not just guide them, but will indwell and empower them to come. This is a promise that we see in Romans 8 verse 9 and 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13. You cannot be saved without the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, meaning you will not be comfortless. I will come to you. So there will be a period of time the disciples will feel abandoned, but then they will come to believe in the resurrected Christ. And he says in verse 19, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. So the disciples will witness the ascension of Jesus to heaven and what they will do through the Great Commission is they will carry out the eternal word of the gospel. Notice now in verse 20 where Jesus says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. So now he incorporates his followers. What he's saying to the disciples is that you will finally come to understand after the resurrection that I am the Savior of the world right? I'm the second Adam. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, you will receive that power. And so you will be a part of what the Trinity, if you will, has called you to be. Now, if you look at Ephesians chapter one, verses three through 14, you see the role of the Trinity. God is the ordainer. He is the, the one who has declared salvation. Christ is the redeemer and the Holy Spirit is a siller. Without any one of the the, the the persons of the Trinity, you don't have salvation. So he's saying this promise will come. And then he says in verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps means treasures, observes them. It is he who loves me. This is the agape love. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and manifest, meaning I will make myself known to him. It is very clear what Jesus is saying to the disciples. He's talking about true fellowship, true love, and true obedience. All of this union that we see expressed by Jesus will fully come one day. This is something that John would later write about in his epistle in 1 John chapter 4, verses 20 and 21, when he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is a truth that is permeated throughout Christianity, even to this day. Now, in verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? So this was a concerning question solicited by Judas or Thaddeus, according to Matthew chapter 10, verse 3 and Mark 3, verse 18. So he didn't understand why Jesus wouldn't just reveal himself to the whole world 
and just establish his earthly kingdom. They didn't understand about the suffering again and the glorification to come. So in verse 23, he answers Judas here by saying, if anyone loves me, again, whoever keeps on loving me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home, meaning our abode with him. This goes back to John 14, verse two. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. So Jesus responds to the puzzlement of Judas by telling him that only those who truly love him will experience a lasting relationship. You see, the disciples, they wanted it to be immediate. They wanted to experience it in the here and now, but they couldn't without the death and resurrection and glorification to come. And so that's what Jesus continued to emphasize because they were going to be tested, but they will face the trials that were soon to come. And they were going to literally, if you will, pass them, grow in their faith, and God was going to use them in extraordinary ways. Then he says in verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, meaning the advocate, who pleads in your case in court, who is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus is telling them, don't worry. Even as I'm talking to you, maybe doesn't make full sense, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you guys in a mighty way. And you will, in faith, will usher in the church age. You'll spread the gospel that I've given you guys. And you'll write about them in books. And then in rabbi fashion, he says to them in verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So what Jesus is saying here, this word troubled is, don't, don't let it be stirred up with all of your anxiety and all of your issues. And this, this phrase here, neither let it be afraid. He says, don't be a coward. Don't lack courage. And so he's speaking this greater peace, this peace of wholeness to come upon his disciples. See, the world only offers turmoil, restlessness, and damnation. Whereas what Jesus is saying to his disciples, I give you forgiveness. I offer you unconditional love. I give you guys the assurance of eternal life. One commentator writes, quote, heavenly peace is a specific gift from Jesus Christ, which is granted both to assure us of his love and as a substitute for his physical presence during his absence with the father. Verse 28, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So the anticipation that Jesus is saying here is twofold. In one sense, he's going to be reunited with the Father shortly. And the other is that the disciples will see his ascension after his resurrection, right? And they will anticipate great things in his name to come. And then he says in verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as a father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Rise, literally prepare for departure. Let us go from here, meaning let's clean things up now. So this speaks to Jesus's obedience to lay down his life in order to defeat Satan and sin itself and eventually one day restore his creation. I like what Warren Wiersbe had to say about this. He says, quote, when Jesus said, my father is greater than I, he was not denying his own deity or his equality with God, for he would have been contradicting himself. When Jesus was here on earth, 
he was necessarily limited by having a human body. He voluntarily laid aside the independent exercise of his divine attributes and submitted himself to the Father. In that sense, the Father was greater than the Son. Of course, when the Son returned to heaven, all he had laid aside was restored once again, end quote. Well, my friends, there you have it. That is John 14 in a nutshell. And one of the things that I want to just conclude this this podcast with is just the emphasis of what Jesus was saying in John chapter 14. It's a great passage where many of the disciples responded. We don't oftentimes get that throughout the Gospels because what Jesus was saying triggered a lot of them. And I hope it triggered you as well. And it's this, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you truly love Jesus... You will follow his commandments. You will love, you will treasure, the Bible says, his word. And when you love his word that way, you will obey him. When you're praying and he tells you, he speaks to you to do something, you're going to respond in obedience. Yes, as a human being, you're, you're frail and you'll, you're timid at times and you're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to be consumed by doubt at times, but you're not going to reject the commandments of the Lord. You're going to walk in obedience because there is life and there is truth. And that's my prayer for you, my friend, wherever you're at in your life, that you will love his word more and you will obey him. I know at times in relationships and decisions at work or school or something at your church is going down and you're just overwhelmed by that, you're filled with anxiety, allow the peace of Christ consume your heart, that it would take away any cowardice that you have, that if there's any any intimidation that you have with other people, be reminded of John 14, verse 26. If you are in a, in a crisis situation, if you've lost a loved one, if you're consumed with doubt or depression or mental illness, fall upon these words, John 14, 26, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is what Jesus says. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So my friends, whatever your circumstances, whatever situation you are in currently, whatever emotions you're battling through, I just pray that you would take comfort in that truth from Jesus, that you would not look to the ways of the world, but that you would look to his peace that will sustain you. His peace is stable. Rest assured of that. He is your refuge. He is your fortress. And we as Christians need to stand firm in his word as we declare here on this podcast. So my friends, as always, you can go to standstrongministries.org. You can click on podcast and there you'll see my study notes. You can use them for your own personal enrichment or if you're in a small group or share them with people at your church. And while we're there, prayerfully consider clicking on donate and supporting this ministry. We'd greatly appreciate that. So my friends, until next time, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.